The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Podshock Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Please visit audible.com slash NGP for your free audiobook download. This episode also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from a cave on the planet Dido, this is Doctor Who Podshock. Doctor Who Podshock. Okay, well, let's do it. No, I... You know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, over 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah, we blew that. <laughs> I'm the Doctor, and who are you? And who are you? The Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 260. My name is Ken Deep, alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello, my name is Louis Trapani. Across the Great Pond, he's back, and better than ever, Mr. James Norton. <laughs> Thank you very much. A bit froggy, but uh, hanging in there. <laughs> Frogs and are cool. also joining us uh, this week, also across the Great Pond, but just a little bit over to the side is Mr. Graham Sheridan. Yes, a little bit further east. Yes, in in Germany. In Germany. Hey, Graham. So that's two continents and three countries. Not well, that anyone's keeping a, count. It's a, it's a global podcast. <laughs> What time is it? It's that time of the year where it's November, which means the anniversary of Doctor Who, and it also means our usual meetup, which is the going to be Saturday the 19th of November, and we're once again having a live panel discussion. So if you'd like to join us live and participate, in, well, we're going to have panelists there, which um, need to be, um, if you're, well... <laughs> <laughs> we'll choose the panelists, but uh, we'll have a subject at hand, and we're looking for your participation and listening in. And um, after that is the usual party and fanfare. It's our fifth anniversary having our meetups on Second Life, so we hope you can join us there. It's the 48th anniversary of um, Doctor Who. Three years on Second Life, really? Gosh. Five years. Five years, and yeah. It God. was 2006, 2006 that we did our first November of 2006 good lord time flies yeah well when you're having fun <laughs> oh, frogs yeah exactly <laughs> the minute anyway <clears throat> so there'll be more information about it on our website with the usual details and intro videos so check podshock.net for info uh coming shortly probably by the time this episode you're listening to this episode probably we'll have that up on the website 
Uh, in other news, uh, BBC America is doing some sort of call out for people to participate in some. Um, they're doing a best of Christmas specials, which is set to premiere on December 24th on BBC America. So they're giving Doctor Who fans uh, an exclusive chance to um, participate on air alongside of um these um quote celebrity celebrity whovians as they call them so i I think that entails chris hardwick and scott and adsit whoever i know who i know chris hardwick i don't know who this scott adsit is anyone (laughs) i guess not it's me so after after (laughs) chris hardwick i i start to doubt the credentials of some of the other participants as yeah. far as Whovians go not yeah. not as far well as. yeah i yeah. chris hardwick bueller bueller <laughs> so you can check it out at the bbc america site they have a video if you go to bbca.me slash Whovians wanted you can uh explain the i guess it's sort of like a contest where you can submit videos and and whatnot to um to this and they'll choose um people that to you know people to appear on this special okay so that silence there was the mad rush of everyone rushing out to um to uh, get on board with that <laughs> so in other news uh there was a story on digital spy about karen gillen as far as her this is what there's been these ongoing rumors about karen you know it seems like every other week there's a um, a rumor about her leaving or her dying, her character dying rather on Doctor Who and so forth. But um, she had stated in this article that uh, that if she does leave, or when she does leave, that it would be a a permanent one where she she's not interested in returning back. She wants to keep the emphasis, um, you know, on the leaving, you know, the emotional impact on the leaving. And if you're going to come back every other episode, then it diminishes that that you know goodbye. I, I tend to agree with, uh, with Karen, and I also I think um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like she's coming to the end of her run. I, I don't know how much more they can do with Amy and Rory now. Um, there's obviously a few unresolved things with respect to the end of series six, um, <clears throat> but just in terms of what they can do with the character, I mean, I don't know. I could be massively wrong on it. But it, it just seems like they've gone everywhere that they can go with it. And they, I think maybe it is time for a fresh new companion. And, and, you know, there's no need for them constantly to be coming back. I think maybe in the future she would come back possibly for uh, sort of a children in need thing or something to do with charity. But, you know, I can't see any reason for her to come back in the future. She's been really, really good. So as as, as Arthur Darville, Rory, who's been spectacular um, and particularly this past series, I think, has been the best we've seen from yeah. from Karen Gillan. Um, I was very sceptical of her. I, it took me a long time to warm to her as a companion. Um, but, and I, I failed to see how we could, where do we go from here? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit sort of cynical about it, perhaps. But uh, this, is, this is a very good point. The fact is, if we look a little bit further back at uh, the way Rose just kept coming back at a drop of a hat, uh, <clears throat> there's a fair bunch of us that just basically got fed up after a while. Yeah, <laughs> me certainly. I, I just thought, if you're, go- if you're going to be on Doctor Who, be on Doctor Who. You know, If not, then leave. Good. If you're going to leave, leave. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, this this quote is basically Digital Spy, but because I have it in my hand here, it's from the brilliant book 2012, and there's an interview with Karen, and it's basically the last uh, question she's asked. And the last question is, so Amy could even be killed off? I think it could be done if you tackled it right. Not that I wouldn't love to pop back every so often. I really generally would. But in terms of how it's remembered, once she's gone, she's gone. So death could be an option. I want people to remember the Amy, uh, the Amy Pond era of Doctor Who as a good one, which is quite unfair. Yeah. Well, well one of ahead. the things that, that um, both Russell and, and Stephen Moffat said about science fiction was in science fiction, no one ever really dies. And I think that's a product of Star Trek Three, where um, now it's just it, it, at some point it suddenly became overly acceptable to kill off and bring back and kill off and bring back people in science fiction. Sorry. And and it's and it's fun <laughs> to a certain degree, but I think it's also um, it's a little. I mean, it's hard to say it's unrealistic because the science fiction is unrealistic in a lot of ways. But it diminishes a departure, and mm. it's um, it's similar over the years in the show when you'd have a a scene where, oh my gosh, you've killed the doctor. Well, we know the doctor didn't regenerate in this story, so is he really dead? And that's the same thing with the whole Matt Smith thing. Yeah, it was exciting to see how they're gonna the writers are gonna get themselves out of this situation with the astronaut and the funeral pyre and all that but at the end of the day we knew this wasn't the end of Doctor Who mm. and it goes to almost to like a video game syndrome to me like oh oh I, I lost a man but here's Mario number two doodly doop you know um, you're never really dead till the game is finished well then and like I said it just kind of diminishes it for me a bit I don't have a problem with the occasional one but we're getting to the point where it's comical and it becomes almost self-parody, like with Rory. Well, and Rory's then, definitely self-parody, isn't it? And, yeah, and then, you know, and then it, it suddenly uh, it loses credibility. Yeah. And you, you know it's going to happen. You know that it's going to crop up. So the surprise and the magic of, of the whole thing is gone. So I think Karen's really hit the nail on the head. Um by but saying, this, you know, if, if, if I'm gone, I'm gone. That's it. This stuff that she's talking about, similar to the hubbub over the last couple of weeks about Matt Smith saying that uh, in an interview that that he he's got another season in him or something along those lines. And every oh, Matt, Matt, Smith, Matt Smith is leaving. He's leaving. He's leaving. Yeah. He's yeah. leaving sooner or later. <laughs> Everyone Don't reads read, too much into that. You know, read he, way too much into it. He's because there's contradictions. He said, I'm doing another year, which doesn't mean anything beyond yeah. I'm doing another year. It, it, oh, because he didn't say he's doing another two years. No. Then he also said in a different interview, I'm going to be around for the anniversary. Yeah, he's, he's have, he has come out to say that he has no plans of leaving anytime he's soon. He's not leaving. It, people uh, read into things. He had made a comment in some interview talking about, I, I think he was talking about Los Angeles, and he said that he's looking forward to, you know, coming here to explore, um, you know, further 
possibilities, you know, no. acting pack, acting Every, possibilities. Everybody's going to explore those possibilities. Of, of course. And so if, that's if what David, he, if David Tennant can't hit a home run in Hollywood, no one can. So, I mean, this was just a, a interview, an offhand comment where he said, but he said, I still have another year of Doctor Who to do. And that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that he's only going to be doing another year, but people just read into that. And it's like, oh, he's only going to do one more year and that's it. And then he's going to Los Angeles. Sensibly, I mean, if you, as an actor, you've got to be looking for that next contract because it's such a uh, an insecure. Yeah, you piece never know. Of, uh, work, or a bit of work, and the fact is, there's nothing wrong with him while still under contract going off and doing other things, mm-hmm. getting other jobs, and then coming back to Doctor Who because then that will give them a taste. And if he's still then, then at the end of the day, unlike David Tennant, who out went out did Fright Night and Fright Night well I don't know if it's so much as Bonds just didn't take off as expected I suppose um, then he's still got the sort of security that can come back to Doctor Who once the film's done mm. so he can get sort of an idea but uh, yeah it's all yeah and ifs and buts and it's the usual sort of thing media driving us nuts it's well, also just the problem yeah. with like the sort of blogger universe now it's just that you, you have to say something extraordinary to separate yourself from the four million blogs out there or for in our case podcasts you know i'm I'm sure if i completely lost my mind right now people would download (laughs) twice as many people would download this episode if i just went into a tourette's mode or something well please do please go into a tourette's mode in that case (laughs) crisps 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 um chips um he's he's Ken's quite right there. It's, it's the sort of, I suppose it comes from the fact that um, because news is so readily available, the quickest form at the moment of any sort of news is Twitter until, you know, things are confirmed properly, but any sort of use of Twitter as a starting point. Yeah. And then we've got we've got the, the Sun newspaper, United Kingdom, uh, stroke National Enquirer, United States mentality, uh, that whatever it is, it's got to be big. I've yeah. never understood this. Just give me the facts. Well, there's no news in Matt Smith continues to play the role. There's mm-hmm. no news in that. That's not news. Yeah. So there's nothing. Yeah. There's nowhere to run to. Yeah. Or run but, but I, I, you know, I think it is news because, in in a sense, um, it might not be. It's not, not going to sell newspapers. It's not going to get loads of people to click onto to blogs. But if you think about where Matt Smith is in his career. Not to be disrespectful to Matt because he's a terrific actor and f- fabulous, um, but nobody in the UK anyway, I certainly had never heard of him before Doctor Who. Um, it's really raised his profile. Um, and he would be daft to give this up yeah. uh, so close to the 50th anniversary. Why, why would you do that? To get another guy in, you know, when he's been so superb... And when he's, he's, you know, uh, one of the UK's most well-known actors now as a result of playing the Doctor. And it's just opened so many doors for him and will continue to do so. Well, you know, I, I don't see why he'd give it up at this stage, personally. But I'll make news in saying that Matt Smith will be leaving Doctor Who. He will. <laughs> in in the future. He will leave Doctor Who. As uh, the same thing does. goes with Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat will leave Doctor Who at some point. Yeah, that's news. There you go. I just I, he's leaving. I I just confirmed it. Oh, there he goes. Now he has Tourette's. Everybody just gets Chris, obsessed. I mean, but I mean, that's yeah. like that's not 
it's like when your when the British papers, the British tabloids run casting has begun or they're looking for a twelfth Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. I suppose they're looking for a new James Bond while you're at it. Yeah. If it's yeah. not to sell papers, it's just to pay yeah. to it's get crap. page hits. So and that's what it's all about. And, and people just don't read buy into the it. paper because they printed the word Doctor Who on it. Don't buy it. Yeah. Let it sink. But this is the problem is that is particularly I mean, there's a whole there's a whole series of scandals in the British press at the moment about uh, phone hacking and, you know, uh, doing really dirty things, basically just to sell newspapers, which is is what the tabloids have always been about. And it's gone beyond just, you know, hearing a little soundbite or um, twisting the facts slightly to, you know, hacking into people's phones and 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 going beyond that. And I think it's time that we made a stand, actually, and said we don't want to put up with this anymore. Um, and Doctor Who is a perfect example of that because the sun, the mirror... They all know they're going to shift a load of papers if they have something in there about Doctor Who. Usually something negative and usually something controversial from their point of view. Yeah, like, you know, the, how many... You could you could pinpoint all of the news stories over the past, you know, well, well basically since Doctor Who came back. Um, and the uh, the only ones I remember, really, are the, are the controversial ones, like saying that um, Freema Adjiman was leaving... All the ones about oh, somebody's coming on board or somebody's leaving, they they don't actually have anything, you know, really interesting, you know. So what if somebody's leaving? I want to see how that doesn't tell you anything about the story or anything about the the rationale behind that. It just says lets you know that they're leaving and spoils the episode for you. Like, I'm being really cynical today, aren't I? It's terrible. <laughs> <clears throat> we love it. It's not any more cynical than the rest of us. <laughs> Maybe it's the frog in my throat doing all the talking, I don't know. Yeah, but if you start hearing Paul McCartney's frog chorus, then, you know, you've got a bigger problem than you first had. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, James, earlier you had mentioned the um, the Children in Need special, and I know that's coming up too. This is uh, Usually it's the around Thanksgiving week, and as we record this, it's uh, yeah, about a week or two away, so... It's going to be next weekend, isn't it? I think the, the 12th to the 18th. Um, uh, and they're supposed to be doing some sort of preview of Doctor Who's, uh, I think, the Christmas special? Yeah, I, I think what they're doing on the on the 18th, um, as, as they seem to do with a lot of children needs, is, is they're, they're having a what they're calling an exclusive treat from Doctor Who, as they do uh, every year. Um, it's exactly the same slot and broadcast as last year. Um and because it's kind of a live show, the time can only really be guessed at because they, they sort of run through different things throughout the whole program itself. But it's thinking that it's going to be on at some point between 8 and 8.30. Um, and the rumour is that with that will come the um, the name of the Christmas special because they usually say, you know, Doctor Who will return in whatever. But they uh, didn't at this time. Snip. Um, well, the, the, on the actual clip is what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah. But so, so far we don't have a name for the Christmas special. So far we don't, no, but that's that's the thing. that I th I'm thinking that they're going to release it with the clip or um, mm, around the same sort of time. You know, they'll they'll have a, a little ident to say, you know, 
I think because in previous years, they, sometimes they've had the first like minute of the new series or uh, an extra scene or something. And then at the end of it, it said, you know, Doctor Who will return in whenever it is and the title of the first episode. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, you know, it's it's one of the, the there's all sorts of fantastic things that go on with children in need. And uh, it's a fantastic uh program to watch because you, you you know it, it's quite a long lengthy thing and uh, it lasts all evening and it's always very funny and very entertaining and it's obviously going to draw a lot of people in with with Doctor Who being there as well. Uh, 1983 was a good one. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Less said about that the better I think. Ah. <clears throat> uh, Yes, but we should know by the time uh, the meetup happens on Second Life next week. So, yeah, and and obviously, I think it's all going to hit YouTube, isn't it, pretty quickly? So on their uh, official channel, probably as well on the official Children Need channel. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Happened, I think last. Well, they didn't do one last year, did they? Or they they did. It was that whole space. Um, it wasn't a preview of of, of uh, an episode or a snippet into an episode. It was that whole. Um, Tardis within a Tardis. Yes, within a tardis. that was that was it. That was, yeah. red, that was a red nose special. That was the red nose special. Oh, was it the red nose? I'm getting confused yeah. now. Yeah. Well, see, I do that too. <laughs> I thought it was that too. Now. Yeah, yeah, because they the red nose special they had their own channel and you were able to watch it on that with the you know they they included the, I think the, the red button as usual yeah the a phone number or something like that to call in so I, I think maybe they might do the same for, with children need us I, I know one time they had it on iTunes where you could actually download it um, though I, I don't know if that was Universal or it was just in the UK I can't remember yeah I can't remember either I mean I I rarely download. Um, videos and things from iTunes uh, relating to Doctor Who so uh, I, I can't recall Well speaking of UK only I know there's been a new game out called um, The Gunpowder Plot Yes Is that something that of November. Mm. Is that anything that you may have um, dabbled with at all since you're in the UK? I haven't actually had the, the chance to download it but it I mean it, because it um it looks spectacular as ever. I mean, it's it's basically a continuation of um, the adventure games, um, and uh, a plot set in uh, around the time of, of of the gunpowder plot, which is when Guy Fawkes and loads of conspirators who were royalists they they uh, supported the king, and they didn't want anything to do with uh, with uh, Parliament. They they attempted to blow up the houses of Parliament and failed. So every year on the 5th of November, um, there's this big fireworks display and um, a big bonfire where they burn a, a, almost an effigy of, of Guy Fawkes to kind of celebrate democracy and, um, you know, uh, parliament and all that sort of happy jazz. And uh, surprise, surprise, as with uh, a lot of major historical events, uh, the Doctor crops up uh, along with Amy and Rory. Um, but I've not had the chance to play it yet. It's been on my to-do list, but it's been a, a bit of a busy week. So uh, I think I might be downloading that on the weekend and seeing what it's like because the other adventure games have been uh, superb. And the last one was released ages ago now. It was um, the Vashta Narada one. What was it? Shadow of the Vashta Narada or something like that. Mm. And they were all really, really good. And 
you know, to say that it's free as well is uh, is superb. As the UK borders, the thing with that is uh, anybody outside the UK who has a Windows machine, uh, these things, um, they can get them from the firm Direct Two Drive. The two in the middle being the number two. Yeah, uh, they did that, didn't they, with the, all the adventure yeah. games? Is, is that true of the um, the, um, um, the, the gunpowder plot one? Yeah, it should be eventually. Uh, it takes a couple of uh, months, but they do turn up there eventually. Uh, I have also tried my best to get an answer from either BBC or the firm that develops them as to whether they will uh, turn up on the Mac App Store for us Mac users. And the closest I got was uh, some sort of reply from uh, Barnaby Edwards the Dalek operator, as it seems to be, he wasn't sure because he's also a Mac user uh, as to whether they would come to the Mac App Store for the, for the sheer problems of licensing alone. Well, yeah, even if so. Direct Direct to Drive have they have they deal with Mac versions as well, but for some reason they didn't do it with Doctor Who. At least uh, the last time I checked, and when I did contact them, I got no reply from them. You know, it was mm. the Direct to Drive people, so. I have no mm. clue what's going on with that or why there, you know, isn't the Mac version there. I, I have a feeling that the Beeb, um, given that they're now, they've now got this international version of iPlayer, um, I have a feeling that they'll probably be coming up with their own uh, alternative means for people to pay for it and download it internationally. Um, or perhaps even um, in the future... Uh, give it to BBC America or, or wherever it may be that, you know, in Canada it's space, isn't it? Um, whereby people can go on and, and for a small fee download it and play it, you know, in their own respective countries because the B have been pretty good with this, getting on board with um, being international and being at the forefront of technology. Um, and it's, it's going to happen, isn't it? Because it's becoming more of a, a global village, as it were, rather than just, you know... Well, it already has. It's where they are now. Though, to my knowledge, the iPlayer isn't available in the U.S. yet. Not in the U.S., no, but I think there is a version... I'm, I'm sure that Graham's going to contradict me now on, on continental nope. Europe. It's correct. Uh, the version is for iPad 2 only. Mm -hmm. And you basically pay your... Uh, what would be, I suppose, in the UK... Slight... Um, Oh, it's 11 euros per month on top. The app is free to download, but then you pay within an app, in app purchase. Uh, you do an app purchase and then 11 euros a month. Yeah. And then you can watch whatever's on there. And they, they're constantly asking through Facebook and such like as to what content they want you want to see on it. So um, it's only a matter of time before that actually comes out in the States. But mainland Europe, we've, yeah, we've got it here. And I keep trying to push it on the mates. They may be holding off with the United States, being that they have BBC America, and, and while you're protecting those that um, property, you know, if you put everything out on this iPlayer, and it, it was pretty instantly available, much like iTunes with Doctor Who, they wait till after BBC America runs Doctor Who before it's available to buy the episode on on iTunes. So. Yeah, because there's a fair chunk that's actually available in the United uh, in the US iTunes store that is just not available in mainland Europe. Um, due to the fact that it's language barriers usually, and uh, I think I mentioned this when we we're back on the um, the the episode for for subscribers here. It's, it's the fact that here that Fox 
here in Germany um, has picked up Doctor Who from Series 5 onwards to be shown on their channel, which is digital only. It's on one of these other tiers and you have to have either digital cable or uh, Sky Germany to watch it. So uh, it's literally having to get somebody like that to pick up this show. They get it translated and then the BBC uh, use uh, their rights to actually get the translated version uh, so they can sell it on iTunes. So it's a very roundabout way of getting stuff done. At least over this side mm-hmm. uh, of the the channel. So, but it'll take time. Eventually we'll get there, I suppose. One day we can hope for a global village <laughs> as far as um, the um, content is concerned. It's, uh, you know, usually there's a problem with um, when it comes to music and the rights and the different. I mean, that's the reason why Doctor Who Confidential, you know, we were getting the cut downs in the States because of, um, you know, the originally they were using music, you know, in certain montage scenes on it. And um, yeah, most of the same is here in, in Germany when somebody posts up a video uh, on YouTube and it's okay in the States, it's okay in the UK and then I get the message to say that the GEMA uh, which is something to do with German Music Association doesn't have the rights for this so you can't watch it and yeah. it's somebody's private video sometimes which is kind of odd but hey uh, it's rights and all that sort of stuff and eventually we get there <laughs> So any other Doctor Who related news? Sure uh David Marcy is joining Hugh Bonneville in The Return of Captain Nemo. So there are two Doctor Who alums in that cast now. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and recently, uh, in fact, it was last, I think it was last Thursday. James might be able to back me up on this if you've seen it. There's a new TV series, uh, a comedy called Death in Paradise. And this will be good for people who uh, like Red Dwarf and Doctor Who, because last week's episode, uh, we had, well, we've got uh, Danny John Jules, who plays the cat from Red Dwarf, as a permanent cast member. And then last week's episode, we had the guy who played Tony Mack uh, from the uh, Cold Blood uh Silurian double uh, double episode uh, and uh, Francis Barber eyepatch lady Madame Kavorian uh, in the one episode and it's absolutely hilarious I have to admit it really is hilarious so that might be worth worth searching out it's called Death in Paradise hmm. alright well very good I guess that will round out our new section This is Peter Davison, and you're listening to the Doctor Who Podshock. Well, one of the most celebrated episodes this past year on Doctor Who has been The Doctor's Wife, and it's written by none other than Neil Gaiman, who's well-known in the sci-fi community, and I know he has a big following on Twitter and whatnot, so, and he's, you know, he has a, obviously a great following among you know book readers and he's did a great job with the doctor's wife and i know uh we have gotten some feedback on that that we're going to get to in, later in this show and but we would like to uh, bring to your attention that he's uh, doing a um 
a special Neil Game Presents titles on Audible, and we want to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode of Doctor Who Podshock. As you know, if you're a regular listener to Doctor Who Podshock, Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. They have over now over 100,000 titles to choose from in every genre, be it thrillers or business, romance, comedy, and of course, science fiction and fantasy. I advise you to check out what they have to offer. They have plenty of selections, especially Doctor Who titles. So, and their titles will play on your iPhone and Kindles and Androids and, well, 500 devices, over 500 devices for your listening pleasure anytime, anywhere, just like a podcast. And Audible now is, as I mentioned, is now has this um, special program, which is Neil Gaiman Presents, with the award-winning writer, narrator, and screenwriter Neil Gaiman, who has um, joined forces with um, Audible to publish these group of hand-selected books that Neil thought were great selections and offer excellent audio experiences. There's going to be new titles that he's going to be picking all the time, and if you are already a Audible member, you can choose your normal credits if you if you like, and if you're not already a, a Audible member, you can purchase any of these titles individually. So we want to um, urge you to go to Audible dot com slash ngp that's ngp as in neil gaiman presents and check out their titles there among their titles uh one selection here is um that well there's several that that they have that they are offering right now among the ones that they're offering right now is uh the these are titles that neil gaiman has selected which he has um, produced as well, which I, I was unaware of. So uh, there's uh, Land of Laughs. The, um, uh, this is uh, Pavane, if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, another title called Light. And another one, uh, You Must Go and Win. And it's um, Essays. So um, just to give you a little sampling, here is um, a little sampling of the Land of Laughs. He stood next to her, but kept looking at us on the bed. She lifted a foot and gave him a little shove sideways. Without looking at her, he growled. He also kept wagging his tail. What do you two want for breakfast? I decided to throw it in for you on your first day. I bet you haven't done any shopping, have you, Saxony? I sat up and pushed my hands through my hair. You don't have to do that. It's easy for us. I know I don't have to do anything. What would you like? I make good pancakes and sausages. Yeah, why don't you have my pancakes and sausages? We decided to have pancakes and sausages. She left the room and Nails jumped back up on the bed. He climbed over my legs and settled down halfway across Saxony's stomach. You okay this morning, sporty? I asked. Yes, I just get crazy at night sometimes. I start thinking that everything is going to go wrong or that you'll go away soon, things like that. I've been doing it all my life. I think it's just because I'm overtired now. Usually the next morning everything is okay again. You've got a little split personality in you, huh? I pulled a lock of hair away from her eyes. Yes, completely. I know what's going on in me when it happens, but there's nothing I can do to stop it. 
Well, that's a little sample of, of that particular title, but there are others to choose from. And Neil gives his own insights on each book with an audio commentary, and that sort of acts as an introduction to each work there. So um, it's definitely something that you want to check out, if you, especially if you're a Neil, a Neil Gaiman fan. And remember, for Dr. Upanchak listeners, you can get a free audio book with a free 14-day trial. Once again, go to audible.com slash NGP. Again, that stands for Neil Gaiman Presents, and see what they have to offer. And we want to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode of Dr. Who Podshock. And we're back with Dr. Who Podshock, and we're just weeks away from the next, um, the well, not, well, we're a couple, we're a month away from, it's hard to believe we're in the middle of November, so we're about six weeks away or so from the next Dr. Who um, new Doctor Who episode, but in the meantime, I've been diving into some old DVD, well, not old, but old episodes on DVD, and uh, one of which was um, a combination DVD, The Rescue, and I think it's The Romans as well. Uh, I just had a chance to view The Rescue, and which is a um, actually an important episode. It's only a, it's a two-part episode, and back then there were many four- and six-part episodes, so two parts were kind of rare, but when you think about it, a two-part episode back then is equivalent to a full episode of today's Doctor Who as far as running time goes. So this is um, from January 1965, and the, the real significance of this is, um, as we were speaking earlier about, um, about Karen Gillan and the possibility of her leaving and whether or not she's coming back, this picks up. This is really the first new companion that Doctor Who had after the series. You know, since the series had launched in 1963, because before that you had um, Jack. Well, you had Jacqueline Hill, William Russell, and um, Carol Ann Ford playing Susan, and then she had left. And when Susan left, they looked for a replacement, and they found Maureen O'Brien to play Vicky. And that's just Vicky. That's not short for Victoria. That they. They were running through some names, you know, trying to get a name for her, and they just wanted it. Um, it just so happens they they chose Vicky with an I, not with a Y, and that's that's her name there. And this is her introduction story, and um, I mean for that it's a, um, you know, it, well th- there's also another historical note to this is that there's a character in it. I believe it's called uh, Coquillion, if I'm getting his name right. Yep. And it's played by, um, well, they didn't want to get, I, I'm assuming you may have, you've probably seen this away, but in case you haven't, but uh, he plays a character and they didn't want to give away who the actor's name was. So I'm not going to, in case you haven't seen it, I'm not going to say the actor's name, but uh, for the, for one of the, ep- for the first part of the episode, they, t- they credited that Coquillian character to uh, Sidney Wilson who is, um, as we know, Sidney Newman is the one of the creators of Doctor Who, and that was named after Sidney Newman and Donald Wilson. And um, we'll we'll see that used, you know, we'll see nods to Sidney Newman in the future as well. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that this was put together in in a way that a six-parter would have been put together. The fact that you've got these two these two episodes. Here and then you had the Romans, which was a four-episode block. Mm-hmm. So according to the production notes, they used it as a as the usual six-episode production yeah. block as they used back then, uh, and used it as a one one um, 
production setup. Yeah, so you had the so, same, um, you know, um, production designer carrying through, you know, both as, yeah. as if it was one story, even though they're two separate stories. Yeah, uh, and this is this is getting towards the end. Uh, Raymond Cusack basically designed everything here, and models were built by Shawcroft as usual, uh, mm-hmm. back for the time as usual, and so. There's a lovely little uh, 20 minutes ish uh, making of where it does get explained uh, about the, d- just the design of models and, and the fact that uh, the Coquillion um, get up was actually made, it was designed by uh, Raymond Kuzak himself, but was actually put together properly by the costume designer. Uh, so, yeah, it was still sort of hadn't worked out who who was responsible for which bits uh, back then. And the more interesting fact about this was the uh, we basically just come to the end of a six-episode run, Invasion of the uh, Dalek Invasion Earth. Mm. And uh, this two-episode bit got more viewers than actually the whole entire uh, run of the Dalek Invasion of Earth. Uh, 13 million viewers. Uh, yeah, this which, got very high ratings as far as uh, high viewership ratings. goes. Yeah. yeah, which they wouldn't see again until uh, Tom Baker's time. And basically getting close occasionally, but I haven't seen since. I wonder if that's the curiosity because this was the first time a companion left, you know, and, you know, who was this new person that was going to take over yeah. and... I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of curious. Or as Ken would say, what was it up against? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great story as a start there. It's just, it's just quick, easy. It doesn't drag uh, really too badly. There's bits of it that are laughable, but it's more due to the time it was made in and the budget they were running on. Um, the fact that you've got v- uh, Vicky coming in, who even up to today um, is not entirely companions, but as far as female companions go, she's still my favourite. Uh, I haven't wow. seen anybody it's anybody come up uh, to beat her so far. You know, there's some that are close, they're still in the black and white periods, um, both in the second Doctor's time. Uh, one being uh, Zoe, obviously, but Zoe's still a little bit robotic for me in, in certain ways. She was meant to be like that. And mm. uh, I suppose... Uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, Polly as well, but Polly was always sort of used as a sort of. She was brilliant, but then they. It was a lot. You could see if you watch these things a bit sort of close on or listen to the audios, the soundtracks that you can get through Audible uh, as well. That's uh, very sexist and that. And Maureen O'Brien comes in and she's, you know, energetic and she can play the part well. Uh, and she does the little, the little bit of a um, afraid but spoiled kid sort of thing uh, at the start, uh, mm-hmm. which is sort of you're not sure whether you like her or not. You know, she warms up, she goes along, and then you really get to know her and, and start to really like her through the Romans. So that was an intro episode. It's pretty good there. Uh, though uh, it's sort of little odds bits and bobs throughout the story uh, the doctor admits at this point that he hasn't yet done his medical degree uh, yes. which he admits <laughs> he has done late you know mm-hmm. he's admits he's, he's done an Edinburgh later um, so you can sort of imagine what's gone in between as well um, yeah yeah 
Well, this is a, a science fiction future story, right? You know, that, that's taken place right before, as you said, the Romans, which is a historical story. So it's um, a bit of sci-fi um, futurism. Yeah. And the fact that the model work on this was, was fantastic as well, I thought. Uh, down to even down to that, you've got the fact you've got the uh, the the Union flag uh, painted on the side of the broken rocket ship, uh, as if they were still at that time thinking that it may be possible that the United Kingdom would have a space program. Oh no, we don't. <laughs> well, it does play t- does take place in the far future. Yeah. I mean, it, it does take place in the far future. I mean, if we sort of there was a they were sort of planning to do a, um, a proper sort of launch pad and all that. And it's up towards uh, what's left of it's up towards Morecambe Bay, uh, as far as I can remember. I'm not sure if James has sort of more of a memory on that than myself, but I'm only going off stuff that I remember from actually living up in that area for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a really it's a good story. It shifts along at a fair good pace. Um, the fact that you've got now um, I'm trying to remember Barbara as well sort of looking out uh, it's probably the only sort of light shoddy piece of design uh, I wouldn't say shoddy that's it's been nasty really uh, but this this creature that's obviously part of the uh, the people of Dido's um, sort of they're part of their yeah. their inbuilt thing there it's, it's a native species it's ref- yeah they're they're it's reflected in the mask that uh, is Kukulian and, and stuff like that. And it's reflected in the uh, cave carvings and such forth. And mm-hmm. you know, they paint an awful lot of detail to this sort of stuff, which uh, I thought was really good. Yeah, yeah, there's a scene where Barbara fires a gun at one of them. And it's um, if, if you listen to the commentary of the behind the scenes um, stuff, there's um, the, the blast from that. It, it sort of startles her. And um, they, yeah. the, the cast doesn't remember them like stopping production or anything like that. But it was just yeah. something that. Well, that was the second take. You see, um, yeah. that's why things like these um, the documentary films are rather good. It's explained in the documentary film that on the first take, the thing went off by accident and uh, unfortunately into uh, Jacqueline Hill's face. Uh, she didn't suffer anything badly but that's why she she's really not trusting that, that bit of equipment to work at all um, mm. it's actually done on film so mm. yeah, yeah. So her face can, you know, once you've seen the documentary film you're like yeah I can understand that it's a big style so yeah well, it was happening back then and it still happens today I remember last year there was a story in the press about um, about Matt Smith hurting his hand with with a spark from a sonic from uh, you know shooting a scene with the sonic screwdriver yeah that was on the 11th hour yeah the, uh, where the the old sonic blew up basically uh, all little sort of facts it was set in 2493 because he had this lovely scene between uh, Ian Barbara and Vicky there where um, Barbara tries to explain why they may seem out of touch to her because she's <laughs> she said, well, what year is it it's 24, 2493 and then they tried to explain this sort of thing of the TARDIS and all that and you know it would even be a good point uh, to bring people into into Doctor Who at that time as well for people who'd never seen anything of it mm-hmm. so it's yeah. something that carries on up to today as, as an example the um, the length hour if you want to bring new fans into the series length hour is a good starting point as well you yeah. don't need to know anything yeah 
You know, many times, you know, when they introduce a companion, you're telling the story through the companion's eyes, and that always serves as a good vehicle to introduce people, you know, to yeah. the series because especially I, with such a long, long history. Sure. I mean, yeah. well, Rose is a perfect example. When the episode Rose, you know, that was yeah. Well, you need you needed to get that right, didn't you? Otherwise, that we you know we wouldn't be we wouldn't be sitting here right now, I'd guess, doing a podcast if it wasn't for hmm. the success of. Uh, of Christopher Eccleston's first series. Yeah. I mean, maybe, not to... De- Go on, sorry, Graham. Sorry. Or maybe not, at least not about the, the newer series anyway. Yeah, good, exactly. Yeah. I mean, not to detract from the stories, which are, are fantastic, but what I enjoyed about um, this this DVD... I don't know if you can call it a box set, but because it's just... It's, it's two stories. I don't, it seems quite curious to me. I don't really know why um, to entertain and, and BBC have decided to group DVDs together at the minute. Um, but it certainly seems what they what they are enjoying doing and, and selling a whole load of DVDs in this way. But um, aside from the, the fact that these are two really good stories from uh, William Hartnell's era, um, actually they've, they've been really, really well restored, lovingly restored. Um, because I remember a time when these were out on VHS and they suffered really, really badly from the fact that they'd been converted from video to film and then back to video again. Um, and the restoration team and the guys at Two Entertain have really put a lot of time and effort into um, really restoring and, and going through and making sure that they, you know, the, the picture quality is as good as it can be. Probably even better than you know what it was originally. Uh, broadcast, you know, way back when, um, and and I think that's that's a a, a real credit to uh, to everybody on uh, um, uh, to entertain and the restoration team because um, you know they picked the right stories and they've they've restored them very very well. I'd say. Yeah, uh, the, the fact that James hit the nail on the head because when this story went out, it'd be transmitted on not only in black and white, but I think it was four hundred and fifty lines. Uh, it was the actual transmission um, size of the picture. So you had 450 lines, so the detail wasn't showing up. And so when you watch these, do hold in mind that if you see something, uh, like say on a model shot that you see um, it being suspended by wires and such forth, it wasn't intended for a high-definition television. It was no. intended for the time it was made in, which was of basically course. 450 lines. Mm-hmm. But and still broadcast over an antenna. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And in a very, you know, grainy sort of way as well, where yeah. you'd have to, you know, make sure that your antenna was pointing in the right direction and it'd still be, you know, fuzzy as hell. I mean, it's it's a remarkable what they've done, what they've done with it, actually, I think. Yeah. Um, and full credit to, to everybody at To Entertain. With that said, chaps, I'm afraid I'm going to have to bow out. I've got to get up early in the morning tomorrow, but... Um, I'm sorry to be a party pooper and leave the podcast so soon, especially after, you know, a long hiatus. Well, we're glad but to I, have you back, James. Yes, I will James. be back on top form when my voice has sort of uh, <laughs> recovered a little bit, and uh, we'll we'll hit we'll hit our stride fully. I think uh, very soon. But thanks ever so much for having me on, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Great to have you on, Graham, as well, mate. Thanks very much, James. And, and uh, we'll catch you next week at the. Yeah. Second life party. Indeed. Catch up soon, fella. All right. Take care, James. All right, chaps. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.
Bye. A couple months ago, I had uh, the honor of sitting down with Fraser Hines, legendary actor who portrayed Jamie McCrimmond in the Second Doctor's era. And um, this was a fantastic one-on-one, quiet and private, uh, hosted by our good friend, the white robot himself, Billy Davis. And um, I don't know how we're going to do this. Maybe we'll, sp- we'll have it in a couple parts, so stay tuned for that. And, uh, well, let's, let's take a listen. Ken Deep back with you, uh, sitting alongside Mr. Fraser Hines. Yeah. Been on the show many times, but this is the mm. first time we've actually sat down and uh, had a one-on-one. And had a drink and a, and a, a cigar, cigar in your yes. case. Yeah. And just relaxed. We are, uh, just to set the stage, we're in a, a beautiful sunroom mm-hmm. here in Baldwin, Long Island, where you've just completed your one-man show. The debut off Broadway sold out last night. That's right. Yeah. Rave reviews. Brilliant. Yeah. Was... Bringing the time traveling Scott to New York. And let's hope it's one of first of many trips. You know, could do to various sort of uh, conventions and places. Now, originally, when I heard you, you did a one-man show called Fifty Years in Show Business. Mm. Where you were you celebrating your your That's entire right, yeah. career, and I thought, wow, we just we have to ask Fraser to bring that here for no other reason than to get you to come to New York. And then a few months later, you were going to Gallif, right, to make your appearance for Doctor Who yeah. in Los Angeles, and suddenly there was a one-man show build on the bill, and I think, oh, this is great, we're gonna see your 50 years in show business. Yeah. But no, you changed it and yeah. made it a Doctor Who-centric <clears throat> thing. I, I thought because the people here, you know, the, the Doctor Who fan, fandom would be appreciative of seeing Doctor Who rather than me as my career, so I just thought I'd bring the the time traveling Scott over, which is all, and, and it shows clips of every episode I ever did. Doctor, I thought they were more interested. If that went well, then maybe I can come back again. And you know, say, oh, I liked it the first one. Let's see what it's like with the the whole career thing, where I showed clips of me and Chaplin, and Elizabeth Scott, a lovely American actress, Michael Caine, Omar Sharif, Dean Jagger. You know, so I'll bring that show back. All greats that you've worked with mm, yeah. over the course of your career. In addition to being in Doctor Who, it's, it's a great, you know, I think you know, at some party at Lovey going. When I worked with Sir Lawrence Olivier, when I worked with, I just well, Charlie Chaplin said to me, in the knives and forks clatter. What? Yeah, Charlie Chaplin once said, I can't believe it, you know. And I said, yeah. and there's the film clip. Wow. A showstopper, I'm, I'm sure, but, did, you, yeah. but you don't actually cover that in in the time traveling stuff because it's just Doctor Who. It, it, I think maybe people would, would love to hear a. a Get a little taster of the the start of that, mm. because you started as a as a child and in, in. Well, we all started as children. <laughs> you started <laughs> as a child. You started in your, your career as a. Oh, child. my career as a child. <laughs> yes. Yes, you, yeah. I started as an act, child actor about nine years old. I went to Corona School, which is a, a drama school, and at the same time there was the famous actress uh, Francesca Annis and Susan George. You Americans remember um, Richard O'Sullivan uh, was there as well. So it, it was good fun. And uh, and, a, and a few other friends that you've run into here in New York, which I think is just yeah, fantastic. it was great. Uh, uh, Barry Halliday, who is, is the Tony Award-winning final arranger, uh, BH uh, BH Barry, Barry yeah. yeah, yeah, who worked on Doctor Who. We we just discovered that yeah, in the Mind Robber, yes, and we showed him last night. I, I think he was quite tickled by that that we actually bothered to sort of dig out that fight. So it's a pity he wasn't playing the carcass, you know. That would have been a lot I'm, of fun. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't, because Barry, you know, his was an actor anyway, so they could actually. Had him play the carcass and could have done his own. I think the BBC actually wasted money there because Barry could have done both parts. Right. Could have saved on a fee. Sure. 
and been in a, in a story together, two school chums. That's right, now, yeah. You told the story. This is a little non-Doctor Who related thing, but it was a funny story. And and prior to this weekend, I don't, I'd never heard you tell the story about being the lighting guy on on a, a something at school. Oh yes, that was um, a, a play very... called The Long, the Short, and the Tall by <laughs> Willis Hall. It was a fake. Actually, they made a film with Richard Todd uh, years ago, but it was about the, the a group of British soldiers in in the Philippines being chased by the Japanese and in this little kind of little hut. And I was doing at the school I was at, Corona School. Miss Knight, the principal, she wouldn't give the lead parts to just anybody. You know, Fraser, you've worked all all year, and someone has worked all year in films. Richard, you're going to paint the sets. Fraser, you're going to do the lighting. I'm going to give the lead roles to people who have not been actually working as much. So I had to do the lighting, and I had this big old lighting rig, and you had to keep those little wheel. And during the scene, I'm turning the wheel. It's getting darker and darker and darker and darker until finally one of the soldiers says it gets very dark in the jungle. Well, I'm playing cards one night, and suddenly I hear this cue, it gets dark in the jungle. I've been forgetting to turn the wheel, so I went, <laughs> and blackout. And this other soldier, yeah, I'm bloody quick too. And of course, <laughs> audience laughed, everybody on stage laughed. The Japanese prisoners, everybody just turned up stage and laughing. Because I got a rollicking from Miss Knight, she took my cards away, and said, you concentrate now. <laughs> It sounds like you had a great time. Uh, 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 Corona was fun, yeah, it was really fun. Because um, when I started off as a young boy, so I was in the uniform branch, so to speak. And in the mornings, you get the three hours reading, writing, arithmetic. And in the afternoon, if you're in, if you're in Attenborough House, you get play reading on Monday afternoon, Tuesday ballet, Wednesday tap, Thursday stage falls, Friday Shakespeare, you know. So you, you learn every nuance of the acting, you know. A lot of new drama schools now just teach you acting, but we learn how to do stage falls. See, or, and so now, if somebody says you're going to fall off a table, you know you know how to forward roll, and it was a very good school for that. I like the idea that you would go and learn, be the lighting guy or the, the set painter, or do all these mm. different things, and you had an appreciation of uh, of everybody's yeah. role. So yeah, when you're important. when you're on set, you have an appreciation. That there's a guy up, and you know he's pulling yeah. ropes and. Well, the play I've just finished doing. Uh, Rachel, our stage manager, you know, uh, I introduced her and somebody said, oh, she's just a stage manager. I said, no, 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 not just. She's important as us on stage because she drives the show. She cues the birds. She cues the, the, the thunder and lightning. If she's not doing her job properly and we go, it feels like thunder. I said, it feels like, th you know, and she's, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. suddenly it can, uh, there was a friend of mine who was doing a play and he had somebody on the book, we call it like the prompter backstage, mm -hmm. you know. <coughs> she was not concentrating. <coughs> this is how important the job is. She's not concentrating. Choking. Um, you must be choking. And <laughs> this actor forgot his lines, so he sidled. Yes, well, uh, what I mean to say to you is, uh, and he's sidling to the prompt corner, what I want to say to you is, uh, and he goes to her, where are we? She says, uh, page 46. <coughs> meant nothing to him. He, he wanted a cue, you know, yeah. the line. There's a good hmm. cigar. Mm -hmm. A hand-rolled cigar. Given to me by B.H. Barry. That's right. Mm. Tony Award winner. Tony Award winner, yeah. <laughs> you held it in your hand, too, when you... When you yes, the yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. I mean, you, to, to hold... You see, I've never... I've won awards for my cricketing. I've won awards for uh, race riding, riding races. I've mm -hmm. never won anything for acting, so I think I must be a better sportsman than an actor. <laughs> That's why I look at it. My trophy room at home is old cricket balls and riding boots and stuff like that. Number one in the fans' hearts. 
That'd be nice. Yes, that right. Be nice. Yeah. The voted voted favorite companion. Yeah, and in fact, on all, all over companions, number four, and I was quite chuffed because the first three is Catherine Tate, Billy Piper, and whoever. The, uh, Liz Slayton. Liz Slayton, yeah. Sorry, and they're all sure. current. So mm -hmm. if Jamie was current, I could be number one. That's right. <laughs> well, now the fiftieth anniversary of Doctor Who's not too far in the future, and, and have they approached you about no, uh, being involved? No, not at all, no. I'd love to be approached, though. Would well, you, I, uh, I, mean, I mean, this is a pretty obvious question, but would you reprise the role of Jamie? No, you must never go back. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I would, because, you know, I love playing the character. He was a lovely guy to play. And now Matt Smith has said that, you know, Tomb of the Cybermen's one yeah. of his favorites. So, so come on, Matt, you know, get ring... Steve Muff, yeah, and say, "Come on, how about Jamie coming in?" You know, how do you envision something like that happening? Of, it's an anniversary story. Of, of you're reprising the role as Jamie. Do you wear the the full regalia? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I wear the full kilt and everything. Yeah, the, the, and the sword belt and all that. Yeah. Do you envision him being um, uh, 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 Jamie later as an adult, and, and we see what happens to him, what what's become of him? Is, it, was, was that the way you'd want to take it, or you have a, any, you know, any particular idea of how you'd want to um, bring it to life? Well, I try and keep in my this, this kind of age now, you know. I wouldn't like sort of, what's that? Gunshots going. Gunshot, yeah. We come outside for yeah. a nice quiet afternoon, and they start doing roofing. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so no, I, I kind of keep him in this kind of, you know. I don't want to. I wouldn't like to see him with a long beard and. and uh, Grayed up and aged up. I think you know this sort of kind of kind of like this. Beautiful. This is all so perfect. Mark Ayres used to come to my house to do those Doctor Who things rather than go to a studio. And on a sunny day, we'd start then. Oh, an aeroplane would just be doing lazy loops in yeah, the sky. Can you take me back to when you were first cast uh, to be in the Highlanders? You weren't actually going to be staying on you were no no just that's supposed to be four episodes and uh, the uh, BBC got phone calls and stuff and said it'd be a good idea if Jamie came into the, the TARDIS and I think my agent said the BBC had, had an option on me and they had an idea because Sean Sutton was the head of TV at the time and I'd worked with Sean Sutton as a little mm. boy many many times and grown up with him in fact Sean Sutton's very paramount in my life um, unfortunately he's no longer with us but um, it, he had an option my agent didn't tell me because I think she thought I'd be worried and trying to act better because there could be years' work. I'd be a little nervous, yeah. mm. but, you know, behind the eyes. Yeah. And so you just played the part thinking that nothing would happen, you know, you, you were yeah, going to do your four episodes. Just four episodes. Episode. Well, in fact, I didn't, because it's called The Highlanders, myself and, and Hannah Gordon and everybody had <clears throat> a Highland accent, which is very difficult. It's very different to the accent that I use now with Jamie. It's, um, the Highland accent is very like that. and. And, oh, Doctor, here come the red coast. Now, I thought, if I keep that accent for, for another year, it gets kind of very boring. And, oh, Doctor, look at the size of that monster. He's after chasing after us. It's not what everybody think, perceives to be a Scottish accent as such. Okay. So I kind of watered it down to the accent that, the, that now everybody... Right here. Yeah. And uh, they come to you and say, it was in his life? It was in his line, yeah. He came, you know, he said, you know, after rehearsal one day, you know, how do you fancy joining the TARDIS crew? And uh, I said, well, I've already filmed, you know, waving goodbye. He said, no, we can do it again. So we all went back to French and Ponds where we'd shot it and 
there was a TARDIS, and this time I got into the TARDIS, and I waved goodbye to my Laird and uh, Hannah Gordon playing Kirsty, and that was it. And they, you were added last minute, so your mm. first couple of stories, I mean, they were very kind little, of scrambling yeah. around to... Yeah, because the, the writers, all the stories obviously were written kind of four stories hence, so they hadn't written me in. So they just, I borrowed a couple of lines from Michael Craze, and obviously didn't do them in Cockney, you know, did them in, in Scottish. Uh, and then by the time they were leaving in the faceless ones, yeah. like my character was actually written, you know, written up properly. Well, in the moon base, you spent half of it in bed. Yeah, just saying Phantom Piper. Just, you know, just lying back, yeah, and, and being nursed by um, Polly. Which I'm sure was, uh, mm. must, have been, must have been very difficult for a, a young actor. Well, in those days, Annika, I, I always tease her about it, she used to come in the mornings and hug Patrick and hug Michael Craze, and never me. But I think uh, I was the interloper. Why do we need him? We've got the doctor, we've got the male companion, and we've got feet. We don't need another male companion. Mm -hmm. So uh, she, I never got any hugs. But she's made up for it since, and she always, oh. says, she always makes up for it since. Yeah. <laughs> she stepped up the game. Mm. And that's where it ends on, that, on this part of the interview. Fascinating. Ah, nice to get there. Oh. Hopefully, we'll get him to hear it breaking into his version of, of Patrick. Or the next you part. will. Esther, <laughs> or I'll have to make up for it, won't I? <clears throat> yes. So that's part one of, and fill in the blank, because I don't know how many. The, Billy sent, <clears throat> excuse me, Billy sent four parts. Four parts. Wow, it's going to be an extended, an extended run. Fantastic. I'm up for four, a four-part episode. <laughs> and hopefully uh, we'll be delivering some news on, on a return by Fraser Hines to the New York area. In one of these four parts. Hopefully, fingers crossed that that news floats our way. All right. Well, you know, speaking of of uh, news and appearances, we forgot to mention when we we're talking about uh, the rescue that uh, Maureen O'Brien and William Russell are going to be at Gallifrey in Los Angeles in February 2012. So, living cast members from um, from that from episode the, from the rescue, absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, fantastic. It's and a, I'll be uh, out at Chicago TARDIS, by the way, uh, in just a couple of weeks, or probably by the time this episode comes out, it should be probably around the time of Chicago TARDIS. So say hello. Billy uh, will be bringing the quark, I believe, and, and I'll be there as well, along with Triss and then I think uh, Daisy Witch from from our uh, mm -hmm. various uh, online experiences, I think, is making her first uh Chicago Fantastic. Tars. Be a lot yeah. of fun. She's a longtime supporter of our show, yeah. so we thank her for that. Neat. Well, speaking of supporters, we wanted to thank all our supporters. We can't make this episode possible. We can't we can't bring you Doctor Upachak without your support. And you can become a supporter if you're not one already by going to our website Pachak.net, and you can click on the top banner there, and that will give you some information about how to become a Doctor Upachak supporting subscriber. And we just um, released our last episode was a um, extra episode for supporting subscribers, and um, you'll get extra content like that. But more importantly, you'll be helping to support the show, whether you get extra content or not. That's really what um, you're helping support. And 
now that we're approaching the holidays, it's, you know, we are, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up in the States here and we want to be very thankful to all our Podshock supporting subscribers. And um, because as I, I know I sound like a broken record, but it's the reality is that we can't do this show. We can't bring you the show without your support. And I know I sound like a PBS pledge drive, but it's um, more important now than ever before. And uh, if, if you can really, I urge you to, um, to do so and hopefully um you will and we can get um <laughs> we can continue doing this show and um and, and do it more often and more regularly so uh once again go to the podshock.net or arttrap.com for a um for a little bit more than what you would pay for <laughs> starbucks coffee each month you could be making a big difference to this show and again we thank you for that and um and that's all there is to it um, another way to thank you is um, to thank you for sending your feedback to us. And we're going to get to the feedback portion of our show. And um, we have several feedbacks. Um, you know, we have lots of feedback actually lined up from you dating back to um, the start of this new series. We've been doing live shows that have been reviewing each episode. And sometimes if you can't make it to a live show, people will send feedback in that way. So we're going to be covering some of that. And we also had planned, um, unfortunately, you know, we had the this year had seen many unfortunate deaths, as, as many years do, but uh, some, you know, maybe some some mag you know ones that are a little bit more um of significance this year with nicholas courtney passing away and then elizabeth Sladen shortly after that and we had wanted to do a special tribute episode to uh elizabeth Sladen, and we did a call out for people to send in their um thoughts about her passing and all that and unfortunately we didn't really get that much in return so not enough to do a whole episode but we did get some and so let's start the feedback with some thoughts about Elizabeth Sladen. And if and I think it's, now it's kind of timely because just this past month um, she had returned, um, you know, back to television with the Sarah Jane Adventures returning for her remaining half season that, you know, that they aired. So um, I know for many she was in the thoughts just recently of, of many out there watching the latest Sarah Jane Adventures. So first up is Justin, and this is... Um, his thoughts on Elizabeth Sladen. Hi, my name's Justin. I live in Troy, Ohio, and big fan of Podshock. Really love it. Uh, glad to be a supporting subscriber, and also glad to listen to the Sonic News Driver. Uh, in regards to the passing of Elizabeth Sladen, I just wanted to drop a line and say that uh, my whole family, actually, has been very devastated by it. My wife and I both are very big fans of Elizabeth Sladen. I uh, love the Sarah Jane Adventures. I started watching Doctor Who about 25 years ago, and she was the first companion that I encountered. Uh, I started seeing uh, Tom Baker episodes on PBS, as where it was aired uh, when I started watching, and I immediately fell in love with her and uh, loved everything she's done. Uh, Sarah Jane Adventures have been wonderful. I do own a copy of the Canine Company, and she will be greatly missed by us both, and I'm sure by the entire Doctor Who community. And I just thank you guys for uh, uh, putting tributes in there for her. And I think it's a wonderful thing, and uh, I'm just uh, glad you guys do what you do and you recognize the talent of the people who made Doctor Who what it was and what it continues to be. Keep up the good work, and Sarah Jane, you will be missed. Thank you, Justin, and it's um, I'm I'm glad you know you appreciate that. We appreciate 
those that are, you know, those that make Doctor Who possible because we wouldn't be, you know, here talking about Doctor Who some 50 years into, almost 50 years into the show run, you know, I, that's nothing to sneeze at. And it wouldn't be possible without those people that put together the show and the talents such as Elizabeth Sladen, who's uh, remarkable. I mean, she's um, started with John Pertwee and Tom Baker and, you know, she's had, um, you know, obviously she's come back recently um, with her own series, but she was also, she also returned in Doctor Who with uh, the 10th Doctor and we've seen her again. Uh, we've seen the 10th and the 11th Doctor on her show, the Sarah Jane Adventure series. So, you know, she's probably one of those companions that really crosses all barriers. Yeah. Including the point that uh, back in the early 80s, John Nathan Turner thought enough of her to actually put her in her own thing with K9. Yeah, K9 and company. K9! Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, even, even with its failings, I still enjoy that episode uh, because of Elizabeth Slade. And, then, and I'm a canine fan too, but. Um. <laughs> Affirmative. Yes. Master. <laughs> so we had um, also had received another piece of feedback. This is from a younger fan and her thoughts on Elizabeth Slade. And I, I'm not being rude by not mentioning her name, but I don't think she mentioned it in her feedback. Also, I just remind, remind people, you can always send us your feedback by calling the Pachak Public Call Box. And that number is 206-984-3543. That's the Pachak Public Call Box. Once again, 206-984-3543. You could call anytime, um, 26 hours a day. <laughs> I added an extra two. If you're on Pluto, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, timers are all relative to a time lord. So let's uh, let's hear this piece of feedback once again on Elizabeth Sladen. Hello. Um, I would like to speak a few words about Elizabeth Sladen. My dad was a wonderful actress. She was amazing. I loved her Sarah Jane because um, she had a childlike future that I think that everyone can connect to. I am 13, and I've been watching Doctor Who since I was like 10, 9 years old, and I thought I looked like Layden was one of the greatest actresses I could connect to um, as, as Sarah Jane Smith. I thought when I was older, I could be like her, figuring how to save the world from my own living room or attic. And um, I just find it heartbreaking that she died so young. She was so full of life and so she didn't look sick at all. But thank you for doing this tribute, and I will forever remember Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith and as a beautiful woman and as one of the greatest actresses I could have ever known. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's something not to be amiss, you know, here, that she was a very strong character. She, I mean, she, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I just lost it. But role model for for young people, especially for, for young girls and, and women, because we don't have enough strong women characters on television. And she really broke ground back when she was introduced, you know, in, um, like I said, in the John Perry era. We, we had... Um, you know, his era started off with a strong woman, a strong woman companion, and then uh, not to say that um, when um, Carol um, Carol John John 
I'm, I'm Caroline Johns. Caroline Johns. Uh, when she had left, uh, not to say that um, Joe Grant was, I mean, it's just, just a different character. So uh, we had, um, you know, where we had the two opposites of the spectrums of, um, of characters there were when Sarah Sutton, uh, <laughs> Sarah, Sarah Jane Smith, <laughs> when Sarah Jane Smith, <laughs> oh, the brain is a terrible thing. When Sarah Jane Smith was introduced, she was a reporter, a very strong, aggressive, um, you know, in contrast to, and again, this is not to diminish Joe Grant's character, but it, it, it was very much in contrast to what we've seen in Joe Grant. And uh, but it, it's great to see strong women, um, you know, represented on television, especially back then. And she continued that. And I think with the Sarah Jane Adventures, she was leading her own series. And I think um, she did it marvelously well. And, and as um, as the caller had said that she didn't look ill at all. And even seeing these very last episodes, she looks, you know, as vibrant as ever. Yeah, she did. Uh, just a note that um, if you want to find more about uh, Liz Sadin's actual life... Um, yeah, there's book, a new autobiography. Her, her book is out. It's due out on the 17th. Oh, it's, it's... All right. I thought it may... I, I yeah. wasn't sure. I thought it may had come out already. Yeah. Fantastic. Hey. All right. Well, let's, uh, we have... Um, now we have some feedback concerning some episodes that we have already reviewed, but as I said, they didn't make it into the into our live show so we're going to turn the clock back a little bit to um starting off with um going in chronological order starting with off with the impossible planet and day of the moon so this is uh d <laughs> done it again how do you uh, impossible, impossible astronaut, astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit fried at this point okay here we go this is d scott 750 scott from tulsa Saw Impossible Astronaut. I want to say it was an excellent episode. And as uh, River would say, spoilers uh, about the silence. One, they're either mutated humans, or two, they're possibly mutated TARDIS crew members. Because how many silence have we heard? Uh, have we seen? I mean, oops, haven't seen. This is the Scott 750 say ciao for now. Well, it's speculation now has concluded since we've already <laughs> gone by. But it's but, always hey, fun to speculate while we're watching. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because uh, I've got it in my hand, the brilliant book of 2012. Um, it's, it's not small. There are a few reports out there that it's actually smaller. It's actually just shorter it's shorter but thicker. <laughs> what are you talking about? The book? The brilliant book. So, getting into this. Yeah, the brilliant book. I know. This is a bit weird. But in the brilliant book, it actually goes into the, the silence themselves. And you finally find out what the silence have got these weird fingers and what the, um, what the inspiration for the fingers of the silence were. I don't know. But after that smaller, thicker... Th- <laughs> dialogue. I don't yeah, know if no, I want to know. Just a, it's just, this, it's just um, the fact that the brilliant book came out and there's lots of things in the net there. It's just, it's smaller than the, the the brilliant book of 2011. It's just shorter. It's weird. It's just they've changed the, the, right. the formats. The page is uh, shorter, but the book is long. It's actually thicker. It's weird. Uh, I don't know why they did that. Um, I can only say the the... Doctor Who Annual 1976 is probably the best comparison. 
<laughs> okay, so I'm going to jump to another. I, actually, I'm going to jump ahead to uh, Brent Johnson since it's on the Impossible yeah. Planet and Date. I'm impossible astronaut and day of the moon. <laughs> hey guys, this is Brent Johnson again. I talked to you since last year. Um, thought I would wait until I'm one of those people that can't judge part one. I have to wait and see both of them. But uh, I thought I'd wait and, and uh, let you know what I thought of the whole two-parter. Um, I thought it was awesome. In fact, uh, after day of the moon, I told my wife and my kids that uh, I just thought that was one of the best Doctor Who's ever made but uh, and, and I like the direction it's going now at least for a little while I, I hope it doesn't stay very very uh, you know if you, you have to watch the episodes like 10,000 times in a row to, to get everything uh, like Lost or or you know shows like that uh, but it's cool for right now for a while uh, it'd be nice to see some standalone episodes, which um, I'm, I'm sure are coming up soon. But uh, but I really like uh, how tightly wound it is and, and, uh, and everything. Um, I I, uh, I pretty much flipped out at the end with the uh, with the girl regenerating. That was really awesome and totally unexpected. Um, my theory is um, we never found out how Susan came to be. She just appeared, and we just took it that she was his granddaughter. Uh, I know this is totally fanboy and totally out there, but I had an idea that possibly uh, Rory, well, that we'll see the doctor and River uh, get together, possibly get married for a little while. Um, and I think their daughter is Amy. And I think Rory and Amy have the little girl that we saw regenerating who uh, would have Tom Lord blood in her um, and that it would be Susan. And then maybe somewhere down the line, the doctor takes Susan back to his first incarnation to take care of her uh, while he's gone. So I know it's totally far out there, it would probably never happen and um, this little girl is probably somebody just totally different. And I also thought, you know, maybe she does or doesn't exist because of the whole TARDIS uh, doing the pregnancy test there, positive, negative, positive, negative. Like maybe her pregnancy depends on something that could possibly happen in the future or not. So it's kind of waiting on which timeline to take, depending on some future decision. Kind of like Amy's choice last year uh, depended on a decision. Anyway, um, hope to uh, hear from you soon, these review shows and everything. Looking forward to it. All right, thanks. See you. Thank you, Brent. Obviously, it all has been revealed since then. Well, he got some of it there, I think, on the head yeah. there. Yeah. It's 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 always good to I mean, even if you go back and listen to our live shows and some of the speculation that though we try not to do too yeah. much speculation, but, you know, some of it is um, seeps into the show and what gets what we got right and what we didn't and how off people's, um, you know, theories were. And it's always interesting looking back at it. Uh, even to see that the British tabloids were completely wrong about uh, how the Doctor's supposed to get out of being killed in the first episode, uh, which was just brilliant 
any time that one of these newspapers is basically proved wrong, I'm a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to um, jump ahead to um, this is a, concerning the doctor's wife. I know we spoke about that earlier when, when we were speaking with about Neil Gaiman, who had you know wrote this episode. It was the first time he has written properly for you know Doctor Who, as far as the television series goes. And um, let's hear what D. Scott Seven Fifty had to say about it. This is D. Scott 750, Scott, of course, from Tulsa. Listen, I know if you can hear it in the background, I'm listening to 246 of you guys, and you're talking about the doctor's wife. I agree. When they're roaming through the TARDIS, either if uh, opening up the doors and see an old, one of the old uh, control rooms, or even if they could have had like a little window where they just happened to look, look through to see the... Uh, the shaving shaving mirror TARDIS or maybe one of the old TARDISes. But it was a great, great episode. Of course, I when I first thought it, I thought, okay, he, uh, he was going to meet up with old Queen Tess. And then seeing that the TARDIS's consciousness was transferred to the gal was even better. Once again, D. Scott 750 saying, ciao for now. Well, that was uh thank you, Scott. That was my point during our review is that it would be nice to have a little nod to um to some of the old control rooms by just having it in a window in the background and not even making a big or you know, display of it or ordeal about it and it would have been cost effective yeah. and it just been a nice little nod there. Though the, that episode had plenty of nods to the past, but it, that would have been just um that would have been so cool. Yeah. I think so. We'll go to um, we'll jump ahead a little bit to uh, let's kill Hitler, and this is Brent Johnson once again. Hey guys, this is Brent Johnson from Raleigh, North Carolina, and I just want to give a quick little feedback about the latest Doctor Who episode that just aired last night. Uh, let's kill Hitler. I thought it was just excellent. Don't get me wrong, I love I love the dark episodes and all that stuff. Um, season 18 was my favorite but to me really really fun episodes like last night is what Doctor Who's all about really I mean it was excellent really hilarious and um, up until the end you know with all the drama and that was great too I mean everything about it was excellent the only part I thought was really stupid was um, when River goes outside and she's shot by like six or seven German guards like a thousand times and she just stands up and says oh too bad because I'm regenerating and I was like what that was really stupid but other than that um, I thought it was really excellent I mean it was really great and the whole males thing when uh, when they showed her at the beginning the first thing that crossed my mind was oh here's next year's companion they're setting her up and then they showed all the, the background information when they, when they were showing them as kids and all and my wife turns to me and says you know I bet that's who the next companion is going to be I said yeah that's what I was just thinking and then the whole thing in the in Hitler's office and we were both like oh well there goes that idea but um anyway that was a great episode and I uh, can't wait to hear what you guys think about it alright see you next time well thank you once again Brent and uh, that whole thing about her being shot after, you know, after being, you know, while she was regenerating and not, you know, the bullets, you know, not having the effect on her, I think probably goes back to the um, Christmas invasion. The Christmas invasion with, with the hand, yeah. 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 It was basically, 
Doctor or whoever it is, Time Lord wise, can basically heal themselves. So has that a, that regeneration juice flowing through his or her body. Exactly. We gotta bottle that up. <laughs> uh, he has another comment about let's let's kill Hitler. Unfortunately, um, this uh, listener didn't leave um, his name, but um, we still enjoy hearing their feedback just the same. Hi, uh, I am a uh, recent listener of Podshock and have been listening to the podcast and I'm a big fan of it. And I just wanted to go ahead and comment about Let's Kill Hitler and how I think a certain part of the episode, which seems to be overlooked, has definitely, in my opinion uh, and in my theory, going to connect back to the finale for the season. Uh, the specific part that I'm talking about is when the doctor is in the TARDIS and he's dying and he's talking to the hologram version of young Amelia and she says fish, fish fingers and custard and he just goes crazy and starts the TARDIS up and you do, we cut away and we go back to Rory and Amy and we don't really see where he goes or what he does and it seems to be such a glaring you know what what happened there I mean there's so much that could have happened at that point for him to go go away and then come back and it definitely seems that that we're missing a huge part of that story of that episode and I have a feeling that it's going to connect back into the finale and even go possibly as far back as 11th hour so just wanted to put that out there um, I don't have any concrete theories as to what exactly and how it connects back but I think that uh, it was a, uh, a misdirection on Mr. Moffat's part. Anyways, keep up the great job with the show, and I will be listening. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, he's right with the misdirection. <laughs> the right episode, you picked the right episode, and definitely the solution for the whole thing. I, I still think that Amy's still going to have some sort of, uh, you know, we don't know how, you know, we spoke earlier about, Karen Gillan leaving and, and her, you know, her feelings about not coming back, if she, you know, and whether or not, you know, how her character is going to leave and the emotional impact and all that. But um, I still think if we go back to um, the first series with Karen Gillan, you know, the last years, that she's still her character, Amy Pond, Amelia, still is uh, playing some sort of I, I, I sense that it's going to be a pivotal, you know, role somehow. Um, all, I mean, not that the doctor's going to wake up and it's all going to be a dream or anything like that, but somehow she's going to, her part in this is going to play an important, um, so it's going to have some significance, I suspect. I don't know. And it's just, again, my just speculation here. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's also, like I say, speculation will be flying around. Uh, the bit I was actually getting at about the newspapers was the fact that they mentioned uh, that they said, oh, the solution to what's going to happen at, at uh, the Wedding Riff song is the resurrection casket, which is in the newspapers and also and hinted at that. And that fell as flat on its face as the uh, reintroduction of the Yeti. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I was sad, more sad about the, the fact that the Yeti didn't get reintroduced, but very happy that this resurrection casket thing was basically put to bed as just bunkum mm. as it was 
Well, this episode of Talk to Pachak has been very much companion centric, you know, going from uh, the introduction to the first um, new companion, you know, outside of, you know, when after the series started with Maureen O'Brien and we, we spoke about Karen Gillan and um, Elizabeth Sladen. So this piece of feedback is um, about Billy Piper. And this is Greg. Hey, everybody. This is Greg from Tampa Bay, Florida. Long time listener. Very long time. So very, very long. And shout out to members of the University of Florida 1985 Tempest Fugit Doctor Who Club out there. Long time. Hey, I was just wondering, why did Billy Piper never sing on Doctor Who, as far as I can remember? I mean, that was her talent, right? Not that she was a bad actress at all. She was great. But before that, she was known for singing. She was like the up-and-coming next Britney Spears or so of that time in England. And um, I wonder why she didn't use that uh, singing talent on Doctor Who. I mean, I can understand if she was trying to distance herself from the Britney Spears-type reputation. But once that she was so well-received as a Doctor Who companion and established herself, um, why wouldn't she you know, add a little bit of entertainment to the show by singing at least one song? I mean, not an, not an old song, maybe an original song they created just for an episode. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's like with John Pertwee, uh, never really did character voices um, when he played the Doctor. And that was his big talent, right? He was, that was his hallmark that he was known for um, back in the old days on the old radio show, The Navy Lark, if you ever heard that. You know, he did all kinds of voices on the radio and uh, on Wurzel Gummidge. Um, so it was, you know, back in the day. Long time, long time listener. Well, um, anyway, just, just wondering. Um, so wondering what you thought about that. Long time. So long. <laughs> well, thank you, Greg. A long time. Thank you. Long time, long time. <laughs> and we, we go back to 1985 as well with the Gallifreyan Embassy. So there's an, uh, kindred spirits out there with, with that organization as well. So, But uh, I, I was just going to say, I, I think you hit the nail on the head that I, I think it is that she was just distancing herself, you know, and, and proving herself as an actress and maybe didn't want to go you know she's probably already proved herself as a singer and um you know and now she wanted to just prove her acting chops yeah because this the thing that i've got a memory about her sort of singing it wasn't so much as singing as in tune rapping i haven't heard her singing i wouldn't know i mean i, I mean, yeah. too bad you know uh, james had left but i had i was not exposed to her song her singing her song her career as a singing artist before Doctor Who and so I wouldn't know her song if I heard it you know I wouldn't know any of her stuff be thankful I mean this is it's probably uh, if you listen to Toby Haydock's um, I'll say my Doctor Who scarf um, you'll get sort of the sort of the main opinion that Brits had a, had a at had of her before she hit Doctor Who so yeah it was that and there was what was the other bit uh, he mentioned there Brent. Uh, well, she he went into um, John Pertwee and his voices. And ah, all that. that was I mean, it, John yeah. Pertwee. He did use a character voice once in my memory, but I haven't seen every single episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was, I think, it was Time Warrior, if I'm not mistaken, where he actually uses a, a voice that will become very, very, very familiar to anybody of my age who's watching him doing Wurzel Gummidge later mm -hmm. on. Yeah. For the other channel, though. So, well, we, yeah. we've seen a lot of that in Doctor Who. I mean, even William Hartnell was known as playing Sergeant Majors or Sergeant Generals yeah. or whatever, you know, military uh, 
parts, you know, and this way, I mean, for him, this was a freedom for him to play the doctor. He was delighted to play a character that was outside of that typecast. Yeah, he's he's quite uh, nonplussed when people wanted to leave. He just, just couldn't understand it. You've got a good gig uh, sort of thing. Mm. Um, but like I say, yeah, there was the one, like I say, in the time war, the one occasion where John Pertwee did use his voice talents, uh, where they were disguised as monks trying to get into back into the castle. All right, well, very good. That's, I think that's going to... Ken, are you still with us? Of course. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know. Sometimes I, I worry that I, you know, hearing me going on and on was just putting you to sleep there. That's just another episode of the two-hour Time Lord. Now, well, we're wrapping this up now at um, hopefully um, around an hour and 40 minutes. So let's, um, unless any other further comments, we have more feedback to get to. We'll get to more feedback in our next episode, hopefully. And um, again, to send your feedback, please do. We always enjoy listening to your feedback. You can send it to, um, you can call the Pachak Public Call Box. Once again, the number is uh, 206 984-3543 and you can call anytime and it's just a, it's a voicemail number so you can just call and, and leave a message there and um, you know by leaving a message you give consent that we can play it on the show um, you know in the future uh, well maybe in the past <laughs> your, episode, your feedback that you leave tomorrow is in Dr. Upachak number 134 <laughs> you have to go back and listen to it alright I'll stop being silly and <laughs> oh, dear electric DeLoreans <laughs> <laughs> alrighty well I if any other any, anyone has anything else to say no only I can recommend that you might want to take a look at the brilliant book 2012 if you can get it into your hands and uh, there's lots in it and I mean lots there are silly little, uh, silly little bits but there's then lots of important or uh, interesting production details there. You've got now, the usual cast member interviews in there and one with Stephen Moffat at the end. And this is where this, this thing from uh, Karen yeah. bowing out was actually picked up on from. So, yeah, it's, they, really uh, books. It's, um, it's called The Brilliant Book of Doctor Who 2012. Yeah, The Brilliant Book 2012. The official guide to the hit TV series. And, and there uh, was... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And if you're within sort of Europe or um, in the UK, uh, there's a free exclusive audio download in it as well. Hmm. So. And there was one for 20... I'm, I'm assuming uh, this has just recently come out, uh, you know, yeah. and I'm assuming yeah. there was one you had mentioned, there was one for 2011? Yeah, the 2011. This is what I'm on about, about the size. Uh, the one, the original brilliant book that came out in 2011 um, is a bit taller, and that's why just, some people are looking at, why do they keep changing the size of these things? But um, yeah, I've got to admit, this is easy, it's easier in the hands. Uh, it should be coming out of the US, because the US price in the, re uh, the rear of it is $19.99. Mm. You've got all the production information. Each story is laid out in turn. Uh, you've got bits and bobs... Uh, you know, filling little bits in between uh, stuff. It starts with a Christmas carol and goes all the way through. Um, there's like a, as a version of uh, of a children's nursery rhyme called Humpty Dumpty. I don't know if it's you know, anybody in the States knows it, but there's a version of a, a, a British children's nursery rhyme called Humpty Dumpty in there, and it's absolutely hilarious. And then towards the back, you've got things like... Um, 
if you're looking at the God Complex as well, and uh, the Gibbous character, there's a sort of a front page of their sort of newspaper called The White Flag, delighted, sticking both hands in the air every day. Uh, it's a sort of this title that's underneath that. So it's definitely worth a look, in, uh, a look at uh, making the monster. So it's got like a breakdown of how they made the Minotaur, um, the distant relative of the uh, Nymon. So there's a sort of a Doctor Who Confidential in book form? Yeah, as well as sort of nice little things, and there's a cartoon, uh, a cartoon done in the middle, which has been, which is the prequel to the um, the Doctor's Wife, which has also been written by Neil Gaiman. So yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. It's done really well. You got the true voyages of Henry Avery, which is the, uh, the captain here from the Curse of the Bucks, Black Spot. Oh, before I end up calling it something <laughs> that's not called. <laughs> <laughs> Curse of the Black Splot or the Curse of the Black, uh, the Bad Plot, I've heard so far. But uh, yeah. All right. So well, we'll look for in better bookstores then, and yeah. online, of course. Of course. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. So um, until next time, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Bye for now. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented by the fan run GallifreyEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible in part by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for all iOS devices available now in the iTunes App Store. For more on this and other podcasts, visit arttrap.com. No, no, they call me the doctor.